Without Fear, where we talk sex, society, and everything in between. I am your podcast host, Amber Radical, and I want to take a moment to thank you guys for getting this podcast off its feet. This episode is pretty monumental for me. We reached our first thousand full downloads, and we are officially recognized as a real podcast across the podcast world. I'm so grateful for all the love and support, especially on Instagram, where I interact directly with you listeners. I appreciate every DM with a personal story or more thoughts on a topic or all of the questions that you guys have had. Uh, Actually, one of your questions is what inspired the second part of this episode. So I appreciate all of the contest entries that just happened, your constant poll answers, and all of your episode shares. And to thank you guys, I'm really getting products up and going for purchase, so you can continue to support me here and wear your activism out loud with my original designs. To see more about the merchandise that is already available and the many projects I'm working on, including local support groups, my book, and workshops, see my website, www.amberradical.com, and you can hit my donate button on just about any of those pages there. Or if you just want to stay updated as new episodes or merch drop, follow our Instagram at sexwithoutfear and make sure to subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast now so that new episodes can make it to your phone without you having to think about it. Thanks for tuning back in after that TI episode so that now we can dive deeper into the social construct of virginity. If you didn't already listen to Strike 3 TI, go back to that one just to give you some more context of why we are getting in deeper today. This is such a personal topic for me, so I may go a little all over the place. This is one of those episodes that if you've ever sat at a real life table with me, you've probably had to endure this rant in its many branches and forms many times. And I never really come up with like a clean way to present this plate of discussion. So I'm just going to go for it. I might rant. I don't know. (laughs) So yeah, in that last episode about T.I., we talked about his forced virginity checks on his daughter and how it's what inspired a new bill by the California Assemblywoman Gonzalez uh, to ban virginity checks. And it would actually have consequences for doctors who perform these inhumane and scientifically outdated exams. But this whole thing like raises so many topics, right? So what are virginity checks? What is even virginity? Why is it important to us globally? What autonomy do we have in this world? And all of those questions. At least I'm somebody who constantly is pondering virginity, but I'll get into that. But I went like way back, probably too far back. For like four months, I got completely stuck on unicorns. Okay, so like one day my boyfriend's like, you know, legend says that you have to be a virgin to see a unicorn. And I was so fucking pissed. I had like a whole tantrum and a half about this. I completely like overpersonalize this for sure, but I'm going to take you on such a dumb ride right now. All I could think about in that moment was how like everything for our kids in every store is unicorn themed. There's like unicorn cats, unicorn shit. There's literally unicorn shit. But anyways, every little girl in the U.S. right now is like having a unicorn birthday party. And I had no idea that the basis of this entire symbol is not just purity, but that you do not get the joy and magic in life without your purity. Fuck that. (laughs) Immediately, like inside, the little child inside me came out and I was just like, again, so jealous of every little girl who gets to like wear this symbol without all of the racing thoughts that my mind like inevitably thinks up. 
So as I've mentioned in past episodes, I am a CSA survivor and the pressure of my purity has been like, it's all encompassing for my whole life. I've had to like go on the ins and outs of all the racing thoughts on this. If you're a survivor too, you know of like the little reminders that life constantly throws at you. Little things that you don't get because you didn't develop normally, whether it's like saying something out loud that other people have just like never heard and was very normalized for you or whatever boundaries are difficult and you're just constantly reminded that certain things aren't for you like the white dress holy matrimony and now like apparently the fucking unicorn we don't get fucking unicorns either it just it drives me nuts across the globe and across time the topic of purity and virginity and the hymen have not only been a topic of discussion but are the very topics that have led to deaths of countless women i can't speak for some of the horrifics other women have endured like specifically but i'm hoping that sharing some of like my heart and how um purity pressure has shaped my life along with like at least some global facts that I can share and maybe some news stories that I can share. I'm hoping that here today we can start to change how society sees virginity and start to lessen the impact against women. So today we're going to talk about hymens, the marketing of purity, which like I've already touched on with unicorns and shit. Uh, And I'm even going to be phoning in a nurse friend today to go deeper into how virginity checks are performed and some of the questions about these exams that you listeners had from the last TI episode. I swear this is probably the last time I'm going to mention this dude, but there was a lot to take away from his shit. Something that we need to remember, though, was that he was forcing hymen checks, not virginity checks, hymen checks on his underage, sexually inactive daughter to check for her virginity. I'm wording that that way for a reason. They aren't virginity checks. You can't check for anyone's virginity. If you turn this episode off now and like the only thing that you get from this is that it is impossible to check for anyone's virginity. Hymens do not equate to virginity and both are entirely two different subjects that have like socially mistakenly been 100% intertwined as far back as we can like record. But the hymen is a piece of tissue on the body and virginity is a concept or idea or better yet a social construct in the mind. And no matter how you define virginity, since it's a personally defined and subjective thing for each individual, no matter how you define it, your hymen is no indicator of it. And if that sounds too good to be true, you're in luck because today we're going to get an anatomy lesson along with a psychology lesson. I'm sure everyone has their own totally fucked up way that virginity and purity was presented to them, but I'm going to talk about mine because I know many girls will, will relate to my story, um, so it's for them to resonate with, but it's, it's for the world to hear. Specifically, like I really hope that men are hearing this. Like I said before, I was a child sex abuse survivor, so before puberty, I experienced the physical event of a penis penetrating my vagina. How you define that, what word you give that, all of those things, how people want to make me feel about it is drastically different person to person, conversation to conversation, church to church. And everyone thinks that they have the perfect answer of how to make this comfortably fit into their mold so that I can be an exception and they can still let the concept of virginity to exist, right? But it doesn't exist. And that's where I'm here today. 
I'm telling you, virginity is shit. It doesn't exist. I'm going to go through the mini racing train of thoughts that my mind had like gone through over the course of time from the time that I was, you know, a young child, pre-rape, post-rape, still within young childhood and how the construct of virginity had like directly affected my processing of my own trauma. And that came out in different ways over time because children's minds are not developed enough to be processing that alone, but most of us CSA survivors are processing that alone. So I was raped. So therefore, physically, I must not be a virgin, right? Um, that's the, These are the thoughts that, this is the train of thought that would go through my head. So I was raped. So therefore, physically, I'm not a virgin. But if I just don't let it happen again, then everything will be restored and I'll still be right with God if I then wait for marriage. If you had a religious upbringing, this sounds familiar, reclaiming your virginity. Or maybe not even having to reclaim it because if it was rape and non-consent, non-consensual, uh, at least some churches will will give you that that free pass, if you will, to say you don't you don't need to do anything. It happened to you. But there is this connotation of like having to process that and come come to peace with it with yourself and God is the expectation. Um, so everything would be restored and I'd still be right with God if I then wait for marriage, right? Uh, I would still be a spiritual virgin. And that really worked for, for my brain for quite some time. But when the flesh doesn't match the spirit, the inconsistency leaves us feeling confused and conflicted constantly, as, especially with our with the social constructs that I'm discussing today with that, if you don't, if you have damaged a hymen, if a penis has gone in you, you are no longer a virgin. Uh, nobody's explaining this graphically within the church. Nobody, you know, as much as they're putting pressure on you to stay pure, they certainly aren't having discussions about anatomy, sex, how to be safe, what rape is, all of these things. So, this is my own trains of thought. Uh, I would be a spiritual virgin, virgin, right? And then that inconsistently uh, inconsistency had left me feeling confused and conflicted, and it also put that pr- like this train of thought puts that pressure on me to make sure that it would never happen again, right? So that virginity could be restored within. But when it was out of my control of whether or not my rapist was going to continue raping me or not, I would get right with God and a few months later be hurt again and manipulated into believing that I was as guilty and hellbound for it as he was. And I would go through the mental battle of like, even if I didn't think it was my fault, I still had to think about it and process it and go through all of the mental pain for weeks and physical pain and everything that comes with it. This thought process is so common in religious homes, right? As a young girl, you really believe that there's some magic that will happen, that something inside spiritually is connected to the skin in your vagina. And when this was divided for me because I was raped, the inconsistency here would make anyone question the entire concept. And I've done just that my whole life. So if the skin doesn't matter because it's spiritual, then why would the virginity skin exist in the first place? Wouldn't the spirit be enough? I'm going to get into that. 
So then when the abuse did stop and I began high school, this is when virginity started really being discussed within my peer groups and I started dating and everyone's dating. The locker room talk for girls was always, are you a virgin or not? How many have you been with? The question literally made me sick every time I was asked. I never knew if it was honest or not with any answer I could provide because again, Christian sexual education and homes typically leaves you very confused with a lot of questions. But bigger than that, flashes of my abuser's face would fill my mind and I all I'd want more than anything was to just like fall in love, have consensual sex and replace that bad memory with a good one and be able to proudly say to my peers, this is my virginity story. Isn't it sweet? So much of my self-worth was wrapped up in not really needing to be a virgin because at that point it became more important to me to replace the event than to wait for marriage for it. But it was wrapped up in being the one who would have a sex story to be proud of, not shameful. This still leaks into who I am today and how I express my sexuality. If you know me, like even my modeling comes purely from a place of autonomy and being able to say, look what I did and no one is hurting me in the process. I'm happy and it's okay because I said it's okay because I'm doing it on my own. Because I believe everyone should enjoy sex without fear. And so to see someone expressing their sexuality freely and shamelessly is a hopeful sign to me that they are doing exactly what everyone else is doing, yes, but they aren't being hurt, they aren't being abused, etc. And for me, it feels good to do that, to say to the world, what he did isn't stopping me from being me. He took my hymen, right, this thought, which I'll dismantle, but you took my hymen, but you can't take pleasure, love, and autonomy from me too. So eventually, as I was searching for somebody to replace this like experience so that I could have the sexual experience that I could be proud of or not shamed of. I eventually met a boy who was finally willing to have that experience with me and it wasn't magic or anything, but it was consensual and I was excited and it really healed a lot. But nine months later, high school relationships are like dog lives though. Okay. So like nine months felt like three years. All right. And the dumping hit hard my self-worth was plummeted because of course I had sort of like cushioned the lack of a white wedding with the idea that maybe this could be the last person I'd ever sleep with, right? That's that's what we do. So when we broke up, I lost all my identity when it came to my sexual identity. I wasn't a virgin physically and now I'm not going to marry the guy or spiritually and now I'm not going to marry the guy that I gave it all to, right? The soul part, you know? I had like... That was all that I had left. I felt like I didn't have the physical part to share with somebody. I only had the soul part and I felt like I gave him my soul, right? So then I felt like I was going to hell. Like no way can I repair this now. So what did I do with my little broken hearted self? I said, fuck it. I'm garbage anyways. I'm going to sleep with anything that I can and use the same coping mechanism as before when someone took my physical virginity and this time replace the memory of who took my spiritual journey by fucking someone in the replacement. So let's look at this constructively because at this point, somebody would now say, well, now she's choosing to partake in premarital sex. And so there's no spiritual left, whatever. But this girl is 16 and every one of her actions is a product of her rape and her religious abusive upbringing. And no 
like professional coping mechanisms given, just whatever she produced in survival. And she knows that the church is still expecting her to figure out how to get to the wedding chapel of Virgin. So eventually I then wanted to get married, right? I found, I found somebody after all of these, uh, sinful sexual endeavors as a teenager and my religious upbringing hit me in the chest like right then. If you listen to my bonus episode with Rustin Garrett from the Black Sheep perspective, I talk about how marrying from a religious upbringing had influenced my marriage so heavily. I might repeat a bit here, but I got engaged at 16 to a young volunteer pastor, and neither of us were perfect, but our upbringings had made us want to take our marriage really seriously. All of a sudden, it felt like this was like the one final test in life that I could not fuck up. Like maybe God was giving me a second chance, right? Like here I'm, I'm being given this pastor. He's forgiving my past. I can reclaim my virginity, right? Like I was always told that this could happen. There's a way to do this. Traditions, right? Rings, vows, communion, baptism. I did it all. Yes, I reclaimed my virginity. Whatever else I could do to make me feel like as white as snow for that day, I fucking tried it all. I prayed. I did all the shit. And worst of all, I got married at 18 fucking years old to the first boy who was nice to me because of the pressure of purity on my life. I was in love and... I'm supposed to be godly, right? And no sex before marriage. So you got to get married right away to a saved man and be fruitful for God. I felt like that was the only way that I could make it right for sure, considering I had lived so sinfully up to this point, right? I spoke in that bonus episode about how our premarital counselor said I could not wear white because I had been raped as a child. That's fucking real. But what crushed me even more was when I went to bed on my wedding night and after all the work to spiritually regain my virginity, nothing magical happened. God didn't clap for me in the sky. No one gave a fuck anymore. I had a ring on my finger. So at 18, no one was caring anymore of what was happening in my bedroom. Because as long as I was right with God and married, then everything was going to be going on in my sex life was going to be like a okay right which is all of this is so problematic i'm sure you're hearing so many problematic and terrifying thought processes here that you're wishing maybe your your daughter hopefully just never has but i wanted to demonstrate how there was like not a single day in my life that went by that my purity did not influence my thinking my self-worth or the huge decisions that i made in my life And I'm just one average American girl in the most safe time, arguably, the most safe time and place to be a woman to date, right? I'm an American woman in 2020 now. So my story is not unique, but it does help unravel all the way that virginity becomes so inconsistent in its definition. Being told I'm still a virgin because I was raped so it doesn't count really leaves the hymen's representation to be useless. But then the same people will say that the hymen itself is evidence that we were given something to define virginity by. And that's where I want to start dismantling this now. Hymens are not like God's given virginity skin. It's not just there to define a person's virginity. Culturally speaking, socially speaking, religiously speaking, No one seems to know shit about the actual hymen and only ever seem to bring it up in regards to virginity. People seem to have a thousand ideas on virginity and always bring the hymen into argument, saying that it's a physical proof that virginity was given to us and that its only purpose is to to declare out loud for everyone to see that she was still pure. 
As if God's perfect design included the backup plan in case this female human lied about her purity. And of course, men don't need an equivalent to this because either their virginity doesn't matter or they can be trusted to just declare it. But women, they need physical proof, apparently, by God's design argument. And like, if God's real, I will ask him, like, why, why didn't men get some sort of like skin to represent their purity on their dicks. This is like a serious global issue, though, as much as I'm joking. The patriarchy across every land is obsessed with hymens. Be it in American porn, or if you Google virgin bride, you can get the top countries to find yourself a pure woman to call your own. There's an entire capital market based on women's hymens. You can get hymenplasty to add tissue to repair a hymen, quote unquote, and it's marketed as vaginal rejuvenation. You can buy fake blood to spill on the bed after your wedding night. Like they make these little things I think that you put inside of you and to have it like break so that there's blood on the bed after you're like, yeah. Um, <laughs> listen, a social construct is something that exists because humans agree that it exists, right? The more that we create fake blood and we have virgin porn categories and we have virginity checks being done by doctors, the more that the social construct is being fed to believe it's real. It's keeping it alive. Well, it must be real because why would every country care about it? It must be real because the skin must only have this purpose of purity disclosure. It must be real if women are having surgery to repair it. It must be real if the movies say it feels magical. It must be real if the Bible says it is. But it's not real. The hymen's purpose isn't to prove sexual activation. It doesn't carry anything magical. You don't lose anything when it's stretched. And whether or not God cares about it is based on whether or not you even believe in God. And most modern day Christians, if you are one, recognize spiritual virginity, as I mentioned before. I say this as a fact um, without a lot of science here. So I'm actually going to bring in my nurse friend now um, and to educate us on not only virginity checks, but she's actually going to talk a lot about hymens too. So here I am going to plug in our interview from last night. Okay. We're on. Hello. Hi. Okay. This is my friend. Should I say your name or not? Um, yeah, you can. Yeah, you can say my name. This is my friend Ari and she is a nurse and she is here because she is going to talk about the mostly the difference between a rape kit and a virginity check. Uh, because some of the listeners, specifically when talking about T.I. Um, and his force his daughter to go through virginity checks, uh, I talked about how I want to see this outlawed everywhere. And I got a genuine response of worry of if we ban virginity checks, will we be banning rape kits? And what is the difference between them? So... This is the nurse answer. I'm going to have like Ari take the floor here and just kind of like go in and explain what both things are and how they're done. Right. Okay. So with virginity checks, um, that's more of a, it's really not a medical exam. It's more of a, not 
cultural it could be, but I mean, this is very superstitious because there's no real way to tell if someone is a virgin by checking the inside of their vagina, Um, mainly because the hymen is intact, yes, when you are an infant into childhood, but um, just because your hymen breaks doesn't mean that you have had penetrative sex. Um, You can break a hymen by activity like riding a horse, falling, like rigorous activity. And when you think about it, a lot of young women play sports. Um, So it it would be very... Can tampons damage it in the same way? I hate to be damaged because it's not really... Right. With it. Well, I think that I I really don't know that answer because I think everyone's body is so different. It kind of depends on where your hymen sits and like the shape of it because everyone's hymen is actually kind of different. I've looked inside a lot of vaginas. I know that sounds funny, but just because my, my line of work, I've definitely seen a lot and everyone is very different. So some kind of sit closer to um, the opening and some kind of sit further back. And when you talk about tampons, um, you know, it depends on how far you would insert them or, you know what I mean? It kind of depends on your anatomy and then how far you're inserting the tampon as to whether it would really disrupt the hymen. So possibly, but possibly not. Could a tampon, you know, perforate a hymen? It, it kind of depends. <laughs> um, but But certainly if it's damaged, I hate to use the word damaged because it's not really needed anyways. So it's like losing an eyelash. It's fine. Right. And really, you never do lose your hymen. I, I think it's like a common misconception. People will say, you know, the hymen, once you have sex, is gone. But that's not true. It's it's really a um, a gathering of skin. Um, if you could think, I'm trying to think of what it would liken to, but just think of something that kind of opens and then the skin doesn't just fall off and go away. Like it stays there. So you can actually still see women's hymens um, even into their adult life. Um, They're just open. So they're kind of, if you were to open like their vagina and look in, you would be able to actually see their hymen, even adult women. So when you're younger, they just look closer together. Essentially the hymen um, looks closer together and almost touching or, like a full like flap of skin like if it's a donut it barely has a hole in the middle and then like a wider donut but that bread is still there exactly yeah so it's still there and I mean and everyone's looks really different actually some people's looks actually a little more close than others even to their adulthood and some it barely looks like it's there at all it really depends on the person's anatomy and kind of how much skin um you know, they have inside. And and as you know, like female genitalia really varies even on the outside. So just like it varies on the outside, it also varies on the inside. Right. I was looking at pictures of hymens and like some of them were completely closed. Some were really open and barely there or not really there at all. And some women like had some that had like dots in them. Like it was like webbed almost. And like, 
some had like three wide holes in it. And so that like almost like a membrane that can really just vary person to person. Definitely. And that's exactly, you know, what it kind of was functioning as, as um, Amber and I had talked about before the function of a hymen um, in the embryo, in the embryonic stages. And then through infancy is really to be a protection against, you know, infection. But once you grow out of that stage and you no longer need that, you know, as we know, we can put all types of things inside of our bodies and not get an infection. Um, so the vagina is not a sterile environment, um, just like the anal cavity is not a sterile environment. Um, it's just that like the way that Ari and I were discussing before is that like with infants, they have diapers with feces in it or inside the womb, they're going to have like the bacteria that's going on in the womb and it's not ready for that. And, and so even though the vagina is super invincible later, um, right. <laughs> child and infant, like that's why they're more vulnerable at that stage. Exactly. And virginity checks really. I feel like we should do the hymen checks because what we're checking is hymens and not virginity. I really want to like reframe that, I think. Exactly. And, and when people, and that's always what people assume, they think that like these hymen checks just determine virginity, but there, there's just no way to determine virginity. Um, and it, thank goodness, because I, I think it's just really ridiculous and wrong to even that dominating over someone that you would need to be checking their personal sex habits. I was listening to like podcasts preparing for this one and to see what other podcasters were talking about with virginity checks. And there's this more of her podcast and the woman like she's a crack up and she brought on her grandma who is just like a great personality to listen to. And, uh, she goes, I brought my grandma on here today because we were drunk at the kitchen or dining table the other night. And she had like the gut to tell me that grandpa made her get a virginity check before he married her. And I am bringing her here today because I am baffled and I need to hear more. And something that she said that the, that the old woman had said is, because her daughter's like, would you have gone and got a virginity check if he didn't ask you to? And she was like, well, no, because I know that I, I'm a virgin. Like I already, like, I didn't need a doctor to check that. I knew I didn't have <laughs> like what that comes down to is just like the absolute mistrust. It's like, I'm not sending you to f- find out if like, I can't ask you, I have to have a doctor tell me that's what that says. It's insane. Exactly. And it's, it's going back to, I don't know if you've ever seen in movies or whatever, but like they want to make sure that the girl has bled and that means that they were quote unquote a virgin. But as we know, just because you have sex for the first time, that doesn't even mean that you're going to bleed. Some women they do, some women they do not. And sometimes women just bleed during sex, no matter how many times they've had sex. Yeah. Yeah, I bled like the fifth time I had sex. And then I sometimes bleed during sex for various reasons. Exactly. So from like my perineum, right? Like there's from either end. There's different once we once we talk about um the the 
rape kit. Um, I'll talk a little bit more about that because I have some actually interesting things that I've learned throughout doing those about bleeding during sex that I had no idea before. So once we get into that, I'll definitely talk more about bleeding. <laughs> Ooh, awesome. Okay. So let's just talk about how um, a rape kit is performed. Or okay. I mean, I'm sorry, virginity check first, right? Let's, let's go. Okay. So I think how <laughs> part of me wonders whether this was really ever a thing that was like, okay, this is exactly how you do a virginity check. You open the lips and you look in. I mean, really what I think it was, was doctors um, being pressured or it was just the norm for them. They would open the girl's lips. They would look in, they would look at the hymen and see if it was quote unquote damaged or undamaged. And that was a virginity check. And if it was quote unquote damaged or open or perforated in any way, then that means they weren't a virgin, which as we've described is ridiculous, but that is pretty much what a virginity check would have consisted of especially it's been around for so long it's not like we've always had speculums and things to be looking in vaginas um so they're probably just doing it with their hands at first and then other instruments later on but that is pretty much all that it would be um that's all that it could be really and couldn't um, these checks damage the hymen themselves like by theory by theory, they really could, depending on, you know, what you're inserting in there and how far or how wrong. That was always my mom's reasoning was just like, why would I send you to get a virginity check by having somebody violate your body sexually? Like, I'm not going to have you sexually molested with somebody's fingers to see if you have been sexually violated or in or engaging in anything sexual, you know? Exactly. Because really it is, it's a stranger, or even if you have gone to the doctor before, it is still someone, you know, unknown to you sexually. And it is an absolute non-medical procedure. It is not necessary whatsoever. It is purely a, (laughs) I don't even know what to call it. It is just purely for not the fun of it, but just purely to find out this thing that they're looking for that doesn't even make sense so it's just a violation on someone's body I truly don't believe that anyone can consent to this because nobody asks for it themselves and this is where I really have to like wonder how these doctors can be held accountable because truly they're getting a request from someone else someone else wants to know their virginity because they know their virginity every person who got a virginity check already knew the answer before the doctor's exam they just weren't believed so someone else is requesting this exam to be done that is not consensual they are requesting the results of that. And then on top of that, maybe not every day in America, but like most of the time there, this is being done because there's a consequence if it has been damaged. Right. Or it could be a terms of a marriage or, you know, if there's a marriage and the family of the, you know, husband wants to ensure that his bride is a virgin, it's kind of like an expected thing to do maybe beforehand to ensure that she's quote unquote pure for her husband 
And it could just be part of that type of, you know, agreement. So it's almost like, yeah, it's always someone else requesting it. I highly doubt women are going in there saying, can you please check if I'm a virgin? Because like we said, we know if we're a virgin. (laughs) Um, Yeah, we are never confused. Like how, how, like I would feel so dumb and silly to be like, can you tell me if I've ever done something, doctor? Like, huh. Exactly. And it, like you said, it's always someone else and whether, and like you said, with TI, I was listening to your podcast on TI. He was joking about the doctor and the, his daughter signing a consent to give him the um, results. And it, she was coerced. It was clear, you know, that it was a coercion. He didn't give her a choice, you know, he was like, you are going to sign this paper and I am going to get the results, which is horrible. Right. I, I really, medical autonomy for children is really important to me in that sense. Like, I don't know, it's, it's a difficult topic, but you know, we do things to our children with their, I don't know, it's just baffling, but okay. So, so How, so how exactly, like, so you're not getting a training on it and you would just use like your two fingers, I guess, to like open, like, yeah, I'm sure, see, I'm sure it really varies because I'm sure, of course, you know, doctors in the past have shown each other how they do virginity, quote unquote, virginity checks. I mean, I'm sure they were teaching each other how you would do them or, you know, it's like I said, it's really not widely practiced here in the United States. And I think a lot of like pediatricians um, and gynecologists, if you ask them to do a virginity check on your child, they would look at you like you were crazy. Um, but I do know, you know, it does still happen. Um, but it's definitely not taught in medical school. I do know that. Maybe it was many, many, many decades ago, but it's absolutely not taught um, in medical school. So if people are still doing this, it's, it's their own, um, way of doing it, I guess. I mean, someone's doing it for TI, right? And I think like there is always like a creepy doctor willing to do something creepy out there. Like that happens, like, you know, people in places of authority, whether it's teachers, doctors, police officers, uh, if, there's a predator they seek those positions because it gives them access and so i can't imagine how many women have been harmed while getting their virginity checks by those doctors or blackmailed um right because that information is in it and even though the information itself is totally inaccurate like like we said your hymen determines nothing about whether you've lost your virginity or not But I mean, that information, a doctor holding that power and telling a family whether you are a virgin or not because of an exam, I mean, that could be, have a lot of consequences for you as to what they tell them. So it's a very scary position to be in. That's what I was going to say is that, you know, it is uncommon, I guess, but I think it's common enough. But I do think us living in California, or you did, um, 
Right. Well, it happens to be a California assemblywoman who's passing the bill to finally ban it. And like we do live more in an area that might not do that as much. But I think about maybe other places that that might still be more heavily influenced in the culture, like just in the United States, state to state. I wonder right. how, how that could be different. Right. And it'd be interesting if, you know, some of your listeners would write in to see if they have heard of that going on in their area, just to kind of see, you know, like where this is popping up. Yeah. Okay. So then the rape kit. So how is that different? So we can ban, we can ban the virginity check, right? And we can, and and rape kits have a place. And I want to hear your thoughts on that. So rape kits are wildly different in every way. Um, And the, The end goal of a rape kit is to collect forensic evidence. Um, So I'm speaking from being a nurse in California doing these. And so they're called rape kits. And I I know everyone will call that because we all know what we're talking about when I say that. But we always call them sexual assault nurse examinations just because I think the... um, the terminology is harsh for people, especially with like my patients. Like, I'm not going to say I'm going to do a rape kit on you now. Do you see what I'm saying? But I totally understand why people call it that. I've always called it that until I started doing it. And then I started calling it a sexual assault examination. So what you do is first off, it in at least in California, and it can vary state to state as to how it gets authorized. But a woman or a man or whoever has a sexual assault or it doesn't even so I think there's a lot of I'm trying to find the word for it a lot of people don't know if they should come to the come to a hospital or or call the authorities because they don't know if there's any evidence or like they didn't get beat up like they or even they didn't even get penetrated per se Um, And they don't think that anything can be done, but that is not true. Um, You can, if something happened to you that was against your will and your body, even if it's just as light as like unwanted touching, kissing, things like that, you can absolutely call the authorities and tell them. And how it works in California is now, let's say I was sexually assaulted, let's say by by um, someone that I know. I would call them or, and they would come and take a statement. And then usually they authorize a, um, an exam through them. So that means the police department is paying for that exam. It is of no cost to you. Um, it's not your fault that this happened to you. So, you know, anything medical, there's a cost to, right? So you have to think about like, okay, who's going to be authorizing this? Okay, the police department, they're going to be paying for this exam to be done. So they have to authorize it. And then once they authorize it, um, the nurse is able to do it. And usually what they'll do is have an advocate with the patient. Um, So it's not just you and the patient in the room. They'll have someone with them um, if they choose so that they have someone to talk to, make them feel a little bit more comfortable, someone that will give them water and things like that, maybe listen to some music because they've just gone through something traumatic and we want them to feel comfortable. Um, And then 
usually there's a lot of legal forms involved too. Um, I would tell them, you know, this exam is to collect forensic evidence and it can include pictures and swabs and things like that. Um, and they, they sign off on it um, if they want to, of course. And we always remind people that if at all this exam is uncomfortable or you don't want to do something, you absolutely don't have to. I feel like a lot of people think that they have to do everything that the exam calls for, but that's not true. You've already been violated. We don't want to violate you. Like we only are here to do what you're willing to do type of thing. Um, so usually you sign papers and then I talk to the person a little bit about what happened. And then I document all of it word for word because it's a legal document on what happened to them. And they also give their statement to a police officer. Then usually I'll look around on their body and see if there's any signs of scrapes or cuts or, or any outward, you know, Thing, and then I'll take pictures of it if they're okay with that of course like if they don't want their picture taken I absolutely would never take their picture but it is good sometimes if there's if someone has been beaten or held down and there's bruising to have photo evidence of it just so that if it goes to court um, they're able to look at that um, and then you generally after that will take a DNA sample or a swab from inside of their cheek so that they have a reference swab because with DNA, really you're looking for DNA on this person of another person possibly. Um, and so they have to have your DNA to contrast against anyone that they may find on it. There's a bunch of questions and I mean a lot. It goes into really weird detail like have you eaten today have you had sex in the past five dates have you had anal sex in the past you know it really gets into detail but it's only because you know a lot of people have partners or they're married and of course they've had sex with their partner yesterday but today they were raped and they need to know that you had sex with your partner yesterday or because his DNA is going to show up. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. they don't want him to show up as a perpetrator type of thing. Right. Um, but then um, you would swab where you think pretty much would be um, the most likely to have DNA. Um, and it kind of depends on what happened to the person, you know, um, cause some people, um, don't ever get undressed. And so obviously you don't necessarily need to be swabbing all under their shirt or something if they were never undressed, but it, it depends on what they say as to where you would swab. Um, and then of course, part of the exam has to do with any physical injuries and a lot of strangulation um, plays into um, these type of exams because often people are strangled or they lose consciousness. So that's a whole kind of different part of the exam. But as far as when we're trying to stay on topic with, you know, what we were talking about before to now, it's kind of the type of exam we're doing on the genital area. Um, it seems kind of odd, but you usually the protocol would be to take pictures of the genital area before you ever, if it's a female, insert a speculum. Um, and they also have a thing for the anus called an anoscope um, that you are able to look into. 
Um, so you would want to like kind of swab around and take pictures if it's okay with the patient first, because they use a camera that is that they can really focus and blow up the picture and they can see little tears and things that we might not be able to see um, with our, with the naked eye. So you take pictures first because as soon as you touch them or insert something um, in court, they could say that you caused that tear. So you also have to think about a legal argument as to injury, like what could happen in the course of an exam like my client didn't do that, you did that to them type of thing. So you kind of have to think about that when you're doing an exam. So then like you kind of take pictures, take them swabs from the outside. <clears throat> and then- So excruciating for anybody having to like re-traumatize. Like it's just so right. hard to make that decision. It's just, you know, it's good. It's good to make that decision if there's possible DNA, you know. Right. But oh, I also so tell people too- Right. And I, but I also tell people as well. And I mean, I, I know as I, as I'm describing it, it seems like this is probably like this crazy long drawn out exam, but the longest part is definitely the paperwork and like the asking of the questions and all of these details, just because they do need that for court, which I understand talking about, it can be very traumatizing too. But of course, I think the physical part is definitely the most uncomfortable. Um, but the physical part actually tends to go pretty quickly. Um, like, like said, just, they can stop. That? like you said, they can stop at any point too. Absolutely. Like, and that's a good comfort. And right. And I've had that happen where people are just like, oh my gosh, I just can't, it's too uncomfortable. I'm like, okay, that is totally fine. You know what I mean? We can stop right now. Um, and, and also like, you know, when you're doing an exam like that, you're always telling them what you're going to do. It's not like I'm just grabbing people and inserting things. It's definitely like, okay, is it okay with you now that I do this? And I'm going to do this. And I explain exactly what I'm going to do so that they understand before I just go doing something to them. Um, I'm sure you're like the dream nurse. I needed (laughs) you're sweet. (laughs) But, and another thing, so we, we spoke about bleeding earlier in sex. So it's interesting because a lot of people that I have seen come in that have been sexually assaulted, whether it be vaginally or anally, um, but I'm, I'm speaking a little bit more on vaginally just because I have seen more of that just in the cases I've done personally, but a lot of times there is no bleeding. And I think that's a really common misconception that people think that if you are raped or sexually assaulted, that there has to be some trauma and that there has to be bleeding or some type of physical sign that something hurt you. But that is very not true. And I would say a lot of the cases I've done, there is no outward sign or like to the naked eye in internally that I could see any trauma. Um, but when you think about it, you can have, the body can take a lot and you can have very rough consensual sex and never bleed, um, or have any, you know, but on the other hand, I've had consensual sex that was great. And guess what? I bled or yeah, I tore just a little bit on the inside, which is why I was bleeding, but it was totally consensual and it was great. Do you see what I'm saying? Um, so it is so, uh, our vaginas are so durable and, but isn't it, isn't it amazing how like spiritually different 
it like it feels physically different because of the spiritual difference of how those tears can come to be. And it's just so traumatizing to be torn violently. Definitely. definitely. And and I, I would definitely imagine like the pain of, of that being just so much greater with the emotional things added on top of it. Um, rather than, you know, you just having consensual sex with your partner and, Oh, whoops. Now, like, I guess we went a little hard and now I'm bleeding, you know, it's just, I can't imagine, honestly. And, and this goes along with the hymen that like you can quote unquote, lose your virginity or have sex for the first time and not bleed as well. Exactly. Exactly. Because like I said, the body is an interesting thing and, and, and really everyone is different and you can, it, it really just depends. And on, in different times of the month for women, you know, especially it's like, are they are internally you know we're a little different there's more blood flow there's more it depends on the time of the month too and kind of what's going on and you know you're a little more likely maybe to be more sensitive or painful or get red you know when you're closer to your period type of thing so it just kind of depends but and when it comes to sexual assault you know just because it doesn't quote unquote, look like you got raped does not at all mean you didn't get raped. And I mean, we, I tell people that all the time, because actually a lot of people have come in and been like, you know, I I know it doesn't look like I got raped. I'm like, listen, like, you don't have to like, try to prove something to me. I definitely believe you, you know, like there are plenty of cases that it's just, you know, someone forces you into something coercion is kind of um a common thing too um and you know there's no outward signs but guess what there could be dna you know what i mean and even if there isn't dna these people are always worried like what if there isn't dna well he didn't come inside of me like what happens then and that is definitely why there's court and you know you give statements to the police, you give, you know, you give your kind of testimony on paper and stuff and and on a form and there's an investigation, you know, and it kind of, but I will say it is hard sometimes to um, prosecute rape cases because it's a lot of like he said, she said um, type of thing, um, which is why I feel like a lot of cases do get dropped because there isn't enough quote unquote evidence. Um, but I do think it's one of those things in our legal system that I don't necessarily agree with, if you know what I mean. Yeah, of course. I think, um, you know, something that I'm thinking about while we're talking, I have never experienced a rape kit, but now that, you know, we're thinking about it as an entire sexual assault exam, you know, I'm wondering, do you collect like hair and saliva and all of those things? So like we may have such a perception that like you're only doing a vaginal exam or anal exam, but like you could find right. evidence that we that we're not thinking of, right? Of course. Actually, yeah. Um, I'm glad you brought that up because you know, we aren't just looking at the genitalia. Of course, you know, if something happened to your genitalia, we're going to want to look at it and, you know, try to get swabs um, for DNA. But actually, um, 
we do a lot of different swabs kind of per protocol as it's called like for most victims and that's we swab the breast or chest area because often when someone is getting attacked or even if you're just having sex like you tend to like touch the chest a lot or like um so there could be dna there you usually will like swab someone's neck um also the mons pubis which is that little area like just above um the genitalia and like the pubic hair um for whatever reason there tends to be dna there um often so they will swab that as well um and it kind of depends on the person's story because you know i i have had some patients with bite marks in different places and um i always swab those um because i mean that they were bit so that person had saliva possibly you know on those bite marks um yeah, so we absolutely test for different things. And I've also collected dirt and things like for people that have been attacked out outside or dragged in the dirt or something. I mean, I look for those types of things and I collect them and you put them in evidence bags and you label them, you know, where it was found. And I usually take a picture of it first. If there's like dirt or leaves in someone's hair, I'll take a picture of it first and then collect it for evidence and say where it was found in the evidence. Because, you know, it if a victim was attacked while, you know, walking on the train tracks and said that like she fell into some leaves and I collected leaves from her hair, you know, that definitely corroborates her story. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So rape kits and virginity checks are very different. Very, very different. Um, And like I said, like um, rape kits are essentially have to be authorized, you know, usually through a law enforcement agency um, because it is a very legal thing. This isn't just a thing that they do at the hospital and then they're like, okay, you know, you were definitely raped. Like that doesn't happen. You know, it's it is a legal thing that's going on. They're doing this for legal purposes. and uh, and just to kind of put this out there, um, I would hope this never has to be a part of someone's life. But if it is um, and someone's sexually assaulted, there is like a, a time limit kind of that DNA is good for on a person. And it's usually within like 72 hours um, or so they would like you to come in because DNA kind of degrades over time. Um, so it, and a lot of people shower and whatnot, of course, because you would feel probably horrible. And I could totally understand wanting to shower um, after something like that happens to you. Um, and you can still definitely actually get DNA um, once someone showers. You'd be surprised um, how dirty you still are once you shower, even as regular people, you know, soap doesn't always wash it away. Um, but DNA definitely has a time limit on the body. Mm -hmm. So, and also just because you get, um, a rape kit done doesn't necessarily mean you need to take it to court because let's say you get it done. Um, you want to get it done, but like you're scared and you don't necessarily want to take it to court. You could get it done And then tell them, like, I don't want to take it to court. And they can actually save that kit for you, like somewhere in like a lab and um, in the police office. And there's like a statute of limitations. Like if you want to press charges, 
they then have that um, and will be able to pull it out of storage and, you know, um, hopefully move on with the case. So, you know, there's a lot of misconceptions just because you get a rape kit done doesn't necessarily mean that you need to like go to court and all this stuff. Um, you can get it done and then decide whether you want to, you know, press charges and take it to court. Now that's at least in California. And that's how, you know, where I was from operated. Um, but if, if something like that happens to you, I would definitely, you know, once you talk to law enforcement, um, ask them what their protocol is so that you're kind of in the loop of how things work um, wherever you are, no matter what state or you know country. Awesome. I super appreciate like all of your thoroughness. This was like amazing. No, I learned. I learned. <laughs> this is like one of my greatest fears is like, enduring a rape kit and now like I feel like my entire thought process is reframed about it and that like I feel very confident that I could like do an exam and like be comfortable in that so I super appreciate that yeah it's no problem at all and just you know a lot of times like with uh, rape kits they generally always offer um plan b and uh paraphylaxis which is like usually they'll uh give you um injections to um prevent gonorrhea chlamydia um and trichomoniasis um because obviously if you've just been sexually assaulted you don't want those things um so uh usually also that comes along with the kit as well that's awesome i did not know that nor did i know that the police department will pay for it so that's super informative on the topic of police did you know that there are police examiners who can perform virginity checks i did not know that at all and i'm just really disturbed like talking about women already being vulnerable with like doctors abusing that what makes a police officer qualified to do a virginity check, which is a made up thing anyways? I'm just like baffled that that exists. I have no idea. And especially because like when you think about it, a doctor is already kind of, I mean, they're not necessarily a person of authority, but I know like for me, I kind of feel like, okay, a doctor is a doctor. They're like, whoa, up there on that pedestal. But then to put someone in a uniform that has like a firearm and actual authority with any legal matters to be doing a virginity check sounds insane. <laughs> They're called law enforcement examiners, but this bill will cover them not doing it as well, obviously. Thank goodness. Um, so yeah, I have never heard of that before. That is really wild. Uh, yeah. Anyways, it's so hard to be a woman. <laughs> I, I appreciate you coming and talking. I'm going to wrap this up because you're you almost touched on many of my subjects so now I'm gonna go in deeper after this on on so many things so I super appreciate you coming and talking no problem at all thank you so much for having me <laughs> yeah and I miss you I hope you're doing well <laughs> I miss you too <laughs> all right I'm gonna hang up on here and I'll Instagram you <laughs> okay cool <laughs> all right thanks good night 
that was a lot of amazing information. I am so grateful for nurse friends like Ari who are constantly teaching me and being kind, soft nurses out in the world. Like I can't thank our nurses enough, especially with everything that's gone on with COVID in the last year and just remembering that these nurses are dealing with so much and they're still the ones who are in the room performing these sexual assault exams and you know they are the ones with the hands-on loving with these victims and so anyways thank you Ari uh I had some great info on Hyman's prepared but she really gave some great information so I just want to recap again though that the Hyman is something that is never lost just like virginity my favorite meme my favorite meme that circulated social media lately is the one that says, uh, I refuse to teach my daughters the archaic concept of losing one's virginity, as if some little dipshit boy driving a Honda Civic is capable of taking anything special from you. Baby girl, grow up. And it's so true. Nothing is lost. No part of your soul or your purity or your cleanliness and not even your hymen is lost. Nothing. If hymens are a sign of virginity, then we're all virgins because we are we all still have a hymen, a stretchy, flexible remnant tissue that served its purpose for the first part of our life in the womb and infancy, and we just live with its evidence forever. But once again, our body, even the tiniest, most irrelevant piece of our body, has been used against us in the most horrific controlling ways. But I'm sure God knew that, right, when he perfect, perfectly designed it, that he'd give us this physical evidence to prove that we're pure and, and not liars, too. And then surely we won't be murdered wrongly for it, right? Something I wanted to go back into more was when Ari brought up what is happening in other countries. And as I prepared for this episode, like I said, I googled virgin brides and I did not find first a list of the horrific things happening to women globally regarding regarding this social issue. But instead, I was presented with the top 10 list of where to buy up a virgin bride for myself via Google. And this brought me to searching deeper into those individual countries price of virginity. But with Afghanistan's women's rights being discussed in the news right now, I can't help but tie this to their cry for education right now. Women are powerless because of the lack of education globally and being able to influence their society. No one knows more about their purity, hymen, or virginity than a woman herself. But being powerless and your life depending on it absolutely intersects these issues currently. One small example would be that a woman could become an educated doctor and begin to dismantle the myth around hymens and begin to ban virginity checks in her own country. Educated women are the greatest threat to the patriarchy. Gender inequity in Afghanistan is not just apparent when we're told that only 29% of the women are literate. It's apparent when we're told that it's common practice for a woman who does not bleed on her wedding bed for her new in-laws to see. To have her ears and nose cut off, forced into dirty clothes, taken back to her parents' home, head shaved, and to escape the dishonor, her parents will often offer her sister as replacement for the disgrace. All just for not bleeding on her bed on her wedding night, supposedly making her not a virgin. Or sometimes they'll just murder her and send the body back in pieces to her parents. Or... If he does keep her, he will most likely beat her daily and remind her that she's tarnished every day. Accused non-virgins are often imprisoned. Please hear that. 
that these are accusations. Of course, sex shouldn't be a crime for anyone, but these women could be telling the truth. Last year, a 26-year-old Afghan woman was publicly lashed to death for accusations of adultery, and a 19-year-old woman was stoned to death for accusations of premarital sex. This is just Afghanistan, but virginity genocide is documented commonly in over 20 countries, and that's likely a large underreported statement. When doctors, even in America, who have women here with cultures like this one, who are living within that culture still in their homes, um, in their families, or their home countries that they'll still visit and bring honor to, when they go and have to get that paper from that doctor, when they sign that paper that they aren't a virgin, that they are directly signing those women up for death. They are just as responsible. Like I've said, nobody themselves wants a virginity check. Everybody knows if they're a virgin or not, right? So that paper is going to a man, and that man has a consequence waiting for her based on the answer that that doctor gives him. And the doctor is given the freedom to make up an answer for something that is made up. Since you can't tell if a woman is a virgin based on her hymen, then he is just making something up. And that means that he has the option to say she's a virgin or not. And if he's saying that she's not, he's literally just choosing to kill a woman for no reason. This is medieval shit. T.I. is fucking medieval. Virginity is complete shit and I can't believe we're still dying for this fake shit. Hymens are like our vagina's little internal temporary foreskin of protection for childhood. And God forbid we ride a horse and it opens up a bit and a doctor deems it damaged and we're subjected to consequences up to death for it. And we would still die for it anyways, hymens or not. Because remember, it's also this internal spiritual thing too, right? So they catch us with that guilt and shame on the inside too. Part of me really wants to end this telling girls that virginity is whatever they want to call it. But I think that is like kind of still leaving room for a lot of social impression still for like every movie to fill their ears with more make-believe bullshit. Maybe you have a vagina and you are still clinging on to the basic idea that virginity is just the first time you choose to have sex with someone. And maybe you don't even have any religious hangups, but there's still this idea that one, it needs to be something special. And two, that some sort of penetration into your vagina, and hymen speaking, it needs to then affect the hymen, needs to happen for it to count. All of this is false and confusing and damaging, and it's only continuing the social construct of virginity in the first place. Firstly, sex doesn't need to be special. That's such a strange word, and I think we just need to like kind of take it out. Our sexuality, just like anything, is something that develops with time, practice, literally, and experience. Our first times are always a little bit awkward, fumbly, and sometimes uncomfortable physically. I mean, hopefully it shouldn't be, but it, it is for some of us. It's a lot to take in. The dangerous expectation that it must be magical or special and sexy has left so much disappointment and sexual hangups for people. Your first time only needs to be consensual, safe, and something that both people are, in, are enthusiastic to do, right? That should be how special is defined. You don't have to be in love. Many people choose to share this moment with a trusted friend. You just need to be like good with communication between the partners, be safe, be honest, and be sure. But let's throw out words like special, pain, gift, and even virginity. And secondly, the idea that it must be a penis entering a vagina 
is what counts as loss of virginity is also setting everyone up for confusion and failure. If a hymen has nothing to do with sex, really, and so a hymen doesn't need to be damaged in order for sex to happen, then sex is whatever you call it. And no one likes to say that, but sex is whatever the fuck you want to do. Sex is oral sex. Sex is anal sex. Sex is two women with no penetration. Sex is two men with no penetration. Sex can be whatever it is for you. And if virginity requires a penis and vagina because God says so, then that would mean those people aren't even having real sex, right? No hymens were broken, so it must not even count as sex, right? Or is it all valid sex? If it can be a sinful sexual action, then surely it can be valid enough sexual interaction to count as a virginity experience for someone, right? If gay sex is bad, then you're acknowledging that it's sex, therefore acknowledging that two people of the same gender are capable of a first time together, therefore losing your virginity is possible in a same-sex relationship. Therefore, if two vaginas rubbing together with no penetration is losing your virginity as much as a penis vagina penetration is, then we're really losing the concept of virginity as we start going deeper into this, right? I remember being told as like a little girl that if I masturbated, I would quote unquote hurt myself. I'm presuming that this is implying the rupture of a hymen. And of course, that's false. But something that irks me about this now is that the idea that's developed from that, which is that one, I could take my own virginity, right? And two, that the possible damage to my own hymen by my own wanted self-pleasure would have been taking something and worse from possibly allowing some future husband to cause this rupture or pain for me. Isn't that weird? She's like, don't damage this part of your body yourself. Let a man damage it for you. Don't give yourself pleasure so that it can be more painful when you share that pleasure with a man later. I don't I don't get her fear of me quote unquote hurting myself or possibly rupturing this hymen myself. It if it doesn't even matter. I mean of course, we know now that none of it, none of those things are true, right? And we would never tell a woman that she isn't a virgin because she used a sex toy or masturbated or anything of the sorts. But these ideas are still being passed down in society from mother to daughter, from pastor to church. So anyways, like I said, virginity is starting to crumble here. This magical idea of a penis and a vagina and a hymen all together and the symbolism we've put on it and kept alive by continuing all these false ideas, it's all shit. Virginity is shit. It doesn't exist physically and its spiritual existence is really based on whether or not you want it to exist. And it's just really only unfair that we live in a reality that's still influenced based on this false conception right and those repercussions for it are still very real so we covered a lot here today and i have three major drops to make here at the end of this uh to recap we've discussed the ban on virginity checks in the u.s or california we've discussed afghanistan's education inequity for women we've discussed rape kits or sexual assault exams and rape crisis information so i want to make sure to get you the information to get deeper into these topics so first assemblywoman lorena gonzalez she's uh in san diego she introduced the assembly bill 1909 it would subject physicians who perform the exam which involves inspecting a woman's hymen to professional misconduct penalties 
to support her and other other makings of bills to in virginity checks you can find more information on the fuller project and more from the pussycat foundation they all support this bill and um other major needed feminist programs on a global scale that's going to help essentially move us forward into being able to ban virginity checks globally right hopefully so the fuller project f-u-l-l-e-r and the pussycat foundation um and then also we you know we got into the sexual assault or rape kits and i want to remind you that there's hundreds of thousands of untested rape kits in fact california alone has 14,000 untouched right now rain the rape abuse and incest national network r-a-i-n-n works with debbie smith dna backlog program to help Uh, and hold law enforcement accountable to get those rape kits tested and processed. They also help pay for those fees so that the police departments have no excuse for delaying this. To help keep women safer sooner, you can donate right on their website at www.rain.org, R-A-I-N-N.org. And if you are a victim of rape or assault, go to their website too, or you can call them directly on their hotline at 800-656-HOPE. That's 800-656-4673. Lastly, I mentioned how Afghanistan is in the news right now for female genocide of all kinds. As much as I wish our sister's only problem was with virginity dishonor killings, the war on women is never over there. Fuck all sides of politics on this because all the men who have All the men on all sides have blood on their hands regarding this war. Whether we should have been there in the first place or not, the effects of us coming and now leaving is increasing the violence against women and girls, especially educated ones. Maternity hospitals are being bombed. Female journalists are being kidnapped. Girls' schools are being shot up. They don't want women to be educated, free, or influential. They don't even want them alive. We have a responsibility to Afghanistan's girls and women's, and when you listen to them, they're asking for more schools. Want to end them being stoned in the streets for accusations of a damaged hymen? Support them being educated. There's a reason that educated women are being targeted. Educated women will change everything. Like I said, educated women are the biggest threat to the patriarchy. If the system is built based on women being oppressed, then education is going to be the biggest threat to that structure. Women are the only one who will educate their society on what they need regarding their bodies, their sexuality, their home and marriages their parenting and jobs women learn what they can have when women learn what they can have the only step left is them making it happen right so please go visit peacedirect.org to donate and learn more about global female education inequity not only are they bringing education equity for girls they're educating their boys in the schools on how to be gentle humans to help bring forth a new generation and break these vicious violent cycles bringing hope and smashing global patriarchy so please go check those out. I appreciate you guys listening today. I really hope that you learned something. And I have a design coming for this episode that you're about to see on stickers and other merch. So like I said, follow our Instagram to follow. And I'm going to be donating a portion of the Virginity is Shit merch to peacedirect.org. So please go check us out on Insta. And again, I appreciate Ari coming today and helping fill in so much uh, information for us. And I will talk to you guys next time. Thank you.